Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge in the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Today's episode is brought to you by Kronos Incorporated, a leading global provider of workforce management, HCM, and payroll software solutions. As you are likely aware, the DOL has proposed a rule that is expected to make more than 1 million workers eligible for overtime pay. Currently, the DOL is accepting comments until May 21st. In this special episode, we are going to discuss the proposed OT regulations in some detail with Kara Shea, a partner with the Butler Snow Law Firm in Nashville, Tennessee. Kara is a member and former practice group leader for labor and employment. She regularly counsels clients in financial services, healthcare, and home health industries on employment law compliance. She has extensive trial and appellate experience in Tennessee and around the country. Kara, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today to talk about this important topic. You're very welcome. Let's jump right in. What are some methods employers can use to implement the future regulations in the most economical and efficient way? Well, um, there's a couple of items of good news here. One is that for a lot of companies that pay attention to this stuff and try to be compliant and stay on top of of, um, developments, they went through this process already. Um, As the folks who are listening will uh, probably remember, there was a prior proposal to increase the salary threshold for uh, white-collar exemptions proposed back in 2016, and that didn't end up happening. The proposal uh, was uh, killed by a federal district court down in Texas, but it was down to the wire. The the, uh, injunction issued just days before that new rule was going to go into effect. So most of the businesses that I work with, for instance, had already gone through the process of sort of determining who would be impacted by the increase and coming up with a plan. So um, I'm hopeful that even for the businesses that did not end up changing their pay structure back then, they sort of have that process ready to go. Uh, and they will have learned the lesson that you need to get uh, an early head start uh, on reviewing this. And um, and then for a lot of companies, they will have already made some um, important decisions regarding pay status and classification. So they may be ahead of the game here. That's good news item one. Good news item two is the uh, change is going to be not as impactful this time as was proposed previously. You said that uh, about a million people are going to be impacted by this, and that's a lot of people, no doubt, but the proposal back in 2016 would have impacted uh, almost four and a half million uh, employees. So it's not as drastic of a change. It won't affect as many uh, folks in the workforce. And I think for some industries, it won't have much impact at all, honestly. I went and talked to a bunch of bankers last week in financial institutions, and they were a group that wasn't that curious about this because they're not really treating anyone who's paid below the proposed threshold um, 
and treating those folks as exempt employees. Now, for those in the service and hospitality industries, uh, I think there will be more impact. So, you know, I think it's it's not as impactful of a change as last time. I think it's very manageable to get ready for this, and we're going to have some good lead time to do it. So I would just start now looking at any employee in, in your workforce that you are treating as exempt. That means you're not paying them overtime. You're not requiring them to record their time if they're being paid less than $679 a week. And that equates to $35,308 annualized. Anyone in, in that wage category that you're treating as exempt, you need to set apart uh, and do an analysis. And um, again, I think we're going to have plenty of time to do it. We, I know when the last batch came around and all of my employees and I heard about it, you know, a lot of people as freaked out would be maybe too strong of a phrase, but a lot of people were concerned, you know, especially people that were right around the cutoff or, or weren't quite there yet. Um, and I know that the kinds of concerns that employees have were, were very dependent on the industry that they were in. How can employers create a communication plan that informs employees of the new rules and addresses those concerns about a change in status or if they're going to be losing overtime? And what would be the timing in terms of communicating that information to employees? Well, I think that the first thing an employer needs to do is determine whether they're impacted by this change at all. Because if they don't have any employees that are in this pay range that they're treating as exempt, they're not going to be required to change anything. Now, I'm going to put a flag on that because I think a lot of employers probably need to look even further at what they're doing because even though they may not be required by this issue to change what they're doing, this issue may give them cover to make some other changes that are necessary in their organization. But anyway, first kind of determine whether you're impacted by this and how much you're impacted. Um, if you've got two people that are impacted, that's going to be different than if you have 2,000 people that are impacted in terms of your communication strategy. And then once you sort of get a handle on what your exposure is here and the impact on your organization, I really wouldn't hesitate um, to roll out that initial communication to your workforce. And I think uh, I would recommend doing general communications first. You know, many of you have heard of this new proposed regulation, which is not final yet. Uh, we're waiting for a final version of this, but we're already taking a close look at this, and this may impact uh, some personnel. We will continue to keep you informed, and if your position is going to be impacted by this, uh, either because, uh, um, by doing a pay change or a classification change, we will let you know as soon as possible. So I think I would start with a general communication like that, and then once you get into the specifics of your plan, start reaching out to folks individually. Um, I think it's always better to let people know as far ahead of time as you can about a, any kind of change to their pay. I remember last time, you know, there was a, there were going to be, you know, besides increasing the salary levels, there was going to be a built-in um, change that as, as the years progressed, that amount would increase. Can you go over uh, what's going to happen this time around, what the, what the salary levels are and so on? Yeah, it's not. I mean, um, what's going to happen if this goes into effect as proposed, the current 
um, minimum salary that you can pay an employee to classify them as exempt under one of the white collar exemptions is $455 a week, which is $23,666 annualized. That's a very low salary threshold. It hasn't been changed since 2004. I really don't think there's anyone out there uh, who thinks it doesn't need to be increased. The big debate was by how much. And, and um, the outcry last time was that the proposal, which almost doubled that, was just too much for businesses to absorb uh, all at once. So this new proposal is, is sort of, I guess, splits the baby, you might say. It goes about halfway to where it didn't, did before, increasing salary to $679 per week, which is $35,308 annualized. So a significant increase but not nearly as much as last time. Again, businesses now have had a couple of years um, knowing this was coming to think about it and get ready for it. And also, I think this is a reasonable threshold for most businesses in most parts of the country. So um, having said that, the, um, the last time around, they tied this to automatic increases. There was an index, and there was going to be an automatic increase that would go into effect uh, uh, every so often. And that is not part of this new proposal. This new proposal sets these uh, new thresholds, and these new thresholds will stay in effect until there is another proposal changing the numbers. And based on how long it took to get this one um, out there in final form, I don't think we would see new uh, numbers anytime soon. So I think that's good news. Um, an automatic increase, I think it would be uh, more difficult to uh, stay up with that, and it would be easy to perhaps uh, neglect that uh, if you weren't paying close attention. Um, we don't have that here. If, if there's another change in the next few years, you'll hear about it loud and clear, just like you heard about this one, and have a chance to get ready for it. So that that's, um, I think, something that is more favorable to employers um, in this proposal. Great. Um, in what way will the proposed rule affect highly compensated employees? Yeah, that's a great question because um, it, it, people don't talk about that exempt, exemption category very much. The exemption categories that are tied to the, the um, increase to $679 per week, those are uh, the white collar exemptions, um, namely the administrative, executive, and professional exemptions which will apply to your supervisors and folks working uh, on projects at a high level with a lot of discretion, and then also those with professional uh, uh, certifications and skills, such as doctors, lawyers, teachers, et cetera. Um, the highly compensated employee exemption is a completely different exemption that stands on its own, and it's easier in terms of the duties that are required, because it only requires the individual to perform one primary job function that meets the exempt criteria. Under these other uh, white collar exemptions, there are multiple criteria. There are four factors under the executive exemption. There are three factors under the administrative exemption. For highly compensated, you only have to have one. And so you can take an employee that's earning at a high level, but only doing one exempt function that meets one of the criteria under the other exemptions and uh, treat them as an exempt employee. It's more difficult 
um, in terms of the pay level because it's been at $100,000. Well, this will increase that threshold to $147,414. So other than that, the highly in, uh, compensated employee exemption is unchanged. Um, you can still use it. I think employers need to take um, time to learn about this exemption because I think it really is helpful in some instances and it's not thought about a lot. Uh, your folks that are earning more in that six-figure category could fall under this exemption uh, it, you know, if they're earning that threshold amount and doing at least one uh, exempt function that meets the criteria. So to take a close look at that and understand that that's going to be impacted uh, by these changes as well. What about bonuses? How, uh, how are employers going to be able to use bonuses or will they be able to use them when calculating whether an employee has met that salary level threshold? Yeah, this, this is the same as under the old proposal, which is that you can use bonuses um, that are non-discretionary. Mean, that means bonuses that you cannot withhold. The employee has a right to them or other incentive pay or commissions. It, you can use those amounts to... Uh, to uh, meet up to 10% of the salary requirement. So for the 35,000 roughly annualized salary that's gonna be the new threshold, 10% of that can come from non-salary forms of payment, including the non-discretionary bonuses, incentives, commissions, and so forth. I actually don't think that's that helpful um, to employers. It may help somewhat, but usually employees earning in this range aren't really pay being paid a lot of bonuses or incentive pay, number one. And number two, you can only use it for 10% of that amount. But it may it may help you, so you need to be aware that that is a possibility. Let's talk about the duties test for a while. I've heard a lot of talk out there about whether there's going to be changes or not, and I know people are concerned about it. Can you address that? I'm really glad you asked that question. This is my soapbox topic. No, um, this proposal doesn't change anything about the duties test, right? Um, so if you have an employee that is truly exempt right now based on their job duties, and you're correctly classifying them as exempt based on duties, um, and they don't make the salary threshold, you can achieve compliance simply by increasing the salary threshold. Um, the duties uh, component has not changed at all. Uh, and, you know, that's good and bad news, it would be great to get some more clarity on the duties tests um, and some simplification on the duties tests, which we did not get. But on the other hand, they're not any more difficult to meet than they used to be. But um, here's my soapbox, because the proposal is only about pay levels. It really doesn't change any other aspect of this law. It simply says if you want to rely on exemptions and use those uh, to not pay overtime, um, you're going to have to pay a higher salary. And, and so the question that I get a lot, and I'm sure a lot of folks who work in this area get, is, hey, so all I really need to do is find out who's not earning at this level and either reclassify them to non-exempt or increase their salary, right? So let's say I have somebody right now earning $33,000 a year, and I have them classified as an exempt supervisor. All I need to do is up their pay by $1,500 or $2,000, and I'm fine, right? Well, that's a loaded question. Yes, you're okay on the salary part, 
but you have to be sure that this person is performing exempt job duties because just paying someone the salary level is not enough to make them an exempt employee. And, and so here's where I think this, um, this change presents another opportunity for employers to fix some things. Um, if you, you know, a lot of employers I work with or have, who have come to me because they're being investigated or involved in litigation on this matter, they really haven't done much in the way of analyzing their exempt classifications. They, they put folks on the salary um, they, they make sure the salary meets the minimal amount, and they don't really check to see if that person qualifies based on duties. And it, the duties test are pretty difficult to comply with, and they're going to be construed against you. You have to prove why um, an employee is exempt. It's, you're not going to be assumed to be correct on that. And um, while it kind of goes beyond the bounds of this particular uh, conversation that we're having, there's a whole lot to know about exemptions in terms of duties, and you need to make sure you, you understand all that. So all that is to say, if you've not really done an analysis of your exempt classifications lately, uh, if you have a bunch of jobs that no one's looked at in five or 10 years or longer, you have job descriptions that no one's reviewed for a while, um, or no one in your memory has ever looked at, you just sort of have them in classifications because they've always been that way, you may have some misclassifications issues based on duties. And if those folks aren't doing exempt job duties, increasing their salary is not going to help at all. So this provides some cover. You know, you send out that announcement saying, hey, you've heard about this change in the law. Um, because we care deeply about compliance with the law, we're going to use this as an opportunity to review our classifications and possibly make some changes and we'll let you know the outcome of that. Use the opportunity to delve into your exempt classifications and make sure you have the duties part right. And if it turns out you've misclassified someone, uh, I talked to a client the other day who had classified everyone in their organization as salaried exempt, including their custodial workforce and janitors. All right. Um, most folks aren't missing the mark that much, but, but most organizations, on the other hand, are at least arguably wrong on some of their classifications. Fix it now. Use this as that opportunity to reclassify people, um, and they're not going to be surprised. It's not going to um, draw as much attention as it would in other times. And I have some clients that did a great job last time of doing that. They used that whole run-up to the change in 2016 to really clean house on their wage and hour compliance issues and make changes that needed to be made, even though they really didn't have anything to do with that change in the law. It sort of is an all-purpose uh, opportunity to, to fix your mistakes and, and lower your risk in this area. So I encourage listeners to, to do that if they haven't done it. That's great advice. Um, just one last question. You know, we did mention that there's currently a 60-day public comment period, but can you just go over with us what the rest of this rulemaking process is going to be? Well, the, the behind closed doors part's a bit mysterious <laughs> to most of us who are not Washington insiders. Um, they do review all the comments. Any, uh, anyone who's listening, uh, you know, they can go to the Department of Labor 
uh, Wage and Hour Division website, and it will give you uh, information on how to make comments. And anyone can comment. You know, um, business groups are doing it. Trade and industry groups are doing it. But even individuals can could uh, enter comments if they want to. And uh, like you said, that lasts uh, 60 days until May 21st. And then they sort of take their time and review the comments. And there is no set time for how long that takes. It's, it depends on how many comments they get. It depends on what they're seeing in the comments. And that'll be interesting. I think, uh, honestly, most business groups are more okay with this increase than they were with the last one. I think there may be some quibbles um, in terms of how it's implemented. And I've heard some business groups may be seeking a phased in increase rather than all at once. Uh, frankly, I think you're going to see more comments from the other side of the political aisle in terms of people saying this increase isn't enough and that it should be more of an increase uh, because it's been so long since this amount has gone up and it's been two years and uh, longer than that since the last increase was proposed. So, you know, they'll see uh, what the comments and suggestions are. And one of two things will happen. Either they will issue the final rule in exactly the form we've already seen it with no changes, or they will take some of these comments into account and make some final uh, changes. Either way, I think we should see a proposed final rule before the end of the year. Um, I think that it will give a grace period for people to be in compliance. In other words, they're not going to put out a proposed final rule July 1st and say you have to comply by August 1st. They're going to give people time. So I really don't think we're going to see boots on the ground enforcement of this until 2020. And the only other thing I would add is that, remember, last time this process was halted not through the DOL or executive action or Congress. It came through the courts. We had a lawsuit filed down in Texas um, that ended up uh, resulting in this proposal being enjoined and killed, basically. I don't think we're going to see that this time. But honestly, I, I didn't think we were going to see that last time either, that the success of that lawsuit, I think, was a surprise to a lot of commentators. So it's possible that forces outside um, the agency might get together and try and take action through the courts again. Truly, I think this time it would be from the other side. It would be from folks saying this isn't enough of an increase, but we, we will see. So uh, I, I didn't – I went on a lot of programs and, and – um, speaking engagements last time and said I thought the proposal would fly through once it was finalized by the DOL, and I was wrong, a lot, along with just about everybody else. So I don't want to say I know for sure with my crystal ball this time, but I mean, this is just less of a controversial proposal, and uh, I think we'll most likely be seeing actual enforcement on something very close to this rule, if not this exact rule, um, by this time next year. Well, great. This has been really helpful. I think uh, our listeners will really appreciate it. <clears throat> I mean, and even if things don't work out exactly as as everybody hopes, you know, these people have had plenty of practice. <laughs> well, I, I, you can tell I'm a little gun shy. The, the, I was traumatized by um, the court pulling the plug on the rule last time because I spent literally a year advising my clients and going out and telling everybody what changes to expect. So I've, I've learned my lesson there. You never know what goes on. But, um, you know, we're going to get an increase. I think this is a pretty reasonable compromise. I'm not seeing too much heated rhetoric 
on it from business groups, a little bit more sort of from employee groups, but it's going to happen. Um, and, but um, I'm not going to make a huge bet on anything. <laughs> so we can check back and this time next year and have a chat and see, see what actually happened. Sounds like a plan. Thanks so much for coming on today and, and speaking with us. Oh, it's been fun. Thanks, thanks for having me. You're most welcome. Listeners, we're always interested in any suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with any thoughts or concerns that you have about the podcast in general, or if you just want to say hi. Finally, today's episode was brought to you by Kronos Incorporated, a leading global provider of workforce management, HCM, and payroll software solutions. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.